Hello the internet, hello the hello the world, welcome back to Trek Chat. This is episode 3, coming at you um, probably only a few weeks after episode 2, which is a big change from the 10 months um, the kind of uh, <laughs> distance that was between episode 1 and 2. Um, I'm joined today by two fantastic guests. The first is uh, Starfleet Boy. How you doing? Hello, very good. Happy to be on. <laughs> um, it's always a pleasure <laughs> to have you, good friend. And um, my second guest is someone that needs no introduction, but has worked on uh, many Star Trek uh, books, has been doing the Trek, uh, Trek um, Files podcast for a while now, and uh, does the Facebook Live. He's someone that everyone in the fandom knows, Larry Nemechek. Hey, I'm just impressed that we're not talking to just any internet, we're talking to the internet. So the, This is the, the internet. internet. <laughs> the internet. The internet. One of those posers. This podcast addresses simply the internet. We don't just talk to any internet here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, now it's time for the internet. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, today we're talking about, and I think it's appropriate that we talk about this with Larry Nemechek, because... Um, He's been wanting to cross over to YouTube, apparently, a little bit. And he knows, he's very knowledgeable. Wait, are you about... secretly filming this? Yes, I am. No, well, you told he me. Puts, he puts the audio on YouTube as well, so. <laughs> I know. Well, you video. know, I got my, my <laughs> Facebook Live this week got shut down like three-fourths of the way through, and all I got was a uh, thing that said, you have, you have been reported for violating community standards for nudity. What? <laughs> what the hell? What, what did you do? What were and you doing? And it wasn't just shut down. My whole like first forty minutes of the live show and all the you know everybody's comments and the questions and all was totally gone. I so totally, someone I just flagged sat down you. and re-recorded the next day. But it was like what? That's outrageous. <laughs> There's another one for the books. Anyway, so I hope that doesn't happen to us. That's I, your, now, that's so your now new I'm live, like really making sure because I'm it? doing this naked, so I just want to make sure that the camera is <laughs> no, it's fine. The camera's not on. The camera's not on, so you can do um, trick nude. All you want. That would be more an abomination of just <laughs> laws of humanity, not uh, you know, decency standards. <laughs> My God. There were some funny. Speaking of fandom, there were some funny groups back in the day, like nudist trekkers and things, or trekkies and things like that. So I, you know, who knows? <laughs> Those things could come back in the new. How do you recognize a nudist trekkie though? Because isn't the point of it like isn't the trekkie in cosplay? If he's naked, then you don't know. Was it like a naked oh. Andorian? What uh, do they, they might do when have they a tattoo. See you if they whip up a Vulcan greeting or something, you know. Oh yeah, exactly. okay, I see. They got the ears. And, that's all they got. Or the, and, a, or, and since and since you know, I don't know the the '90s. Look at their tattoos. You know. Oh, so. exactly. Oh, there's many ways. Many ways. So yes, we are going to talk about fandom, um, uh, especially basically well, fandom before uh, fandom in the old days. Let me say. And fandom What would today. the old days be considered? Well, the old days, c considering <laughs> no, before twenty seventeen, young, youngish, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the old days is, is pre YouTube. It's before two thousand and five, right? Oh no, wow, the, okay. It's it's sixties to eighties, and uh, I think the nineties is when things started really get, getting modern. But I just wanted to to talk oh. about kind of how the um, the fan community created all of these fan magazines back in the day. And how now we've we've done that we've gone into this shift where new media, they've got all of these new content creators, and I really wanted to know. This is more me asking questions. I wanted to know if um, the craziness that we have on YouTube today, with all of these kind of extremist creators, if that existed before as well, or if uh, it was like the most extreme thing that we had before was just basically slash fiction. Well. 
the people that did and by slash fiction we mean like k k slash s yeah. which was the code the little code word you know for <laughs> which i think was the first slash fiction in existence wasn't it well that's that's why it's called slash because it was k slash s and that was their yeah it was like and it wasn't like oh let's do gay kirk spock you know porn fiction that's not it it was it was all feminist Here's the, here's the thing, guys, and this has been this weird soapbox of mine for the last 15 years. I just See, I forget that the whole world just doesn't know stuff. And it's partly that's a change of – and I don't mean that in a facetious way because obviously, you know. No, there's you're basic, very knowledgeable. You have there's basic world history, history that we've all – you know, I mean like the 90s now is ancient history. So to people in anything, you know. but Captain Marvel like, was a period piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now don't get me into comics because comics is just full of – People running around in pajama things that don't match each other, so it's obviously not real. Um, <laughs> and I and I say that lovingly. I'm just trying to say when I was a kid, that's why I never cared about uh, comic superheroes. I'm like, to this day, I will watch a movie, even an excellent, excellent, excellent superhero movie, and there's always that point where I go, oh, this is so comic booky. Oh wait, that's because it is. I mean, that's just what I am. Anyway, right. um, as opposed to Starfleet, which is really us, through our historical line, through NASA, into the future, they have ranks and uniforms and ship classes, and they talk about Caesar and Hitler and Napoleon and Lee Kwan and Colonel Green. I mean, there's a through line to history to them. So that's right. up to, when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, up to a certain I, point, uh, before the 1996, one could even argue that everything was happening the way it was supposed to, you know? So. <laughs> oh, are you going to get off on the... Uh, first contact no, changed everything and you can't right. claim to be in the prime anymore <laughs> well no 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 none of that i don't know i don't i don't <laughs> even like to talk about the timelines because it's just on. no 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 i promise i i, I actually <laughs> hate all the canon timeline conversations because it's just that's good for scholarly yeah. discussion but really it doesn't really mean I anything need some janeway the, aspirin you know. excuse me here <laughs> yeah um. exactly no i'm just talking about how i think i remember in star trek around 96 is when uh, the eugenics wars were supposed to start happening or something oh, like you mean that. So that. Yeah, no, it was 92 yeah. to 96. And oh, then 92 Greg to 96, Cox yeah, exactly. wrote a wonderful novel that kind of basically postulated that, yes, we, I mean, that was the first time we lived, we're, where are we, four years? We're two years away from the Bell Riots? I, right, I, right. I keep forgetting if they're 22 or 24. Either way, we're That's just right. years away from the Bell Riots. And it feels like we're creeping up to them. Um, That's true. That that episode is actually we recently talked about it on a podcast I do called Drunk Space Nine, and it it was harrowing to see how similar, how how prescient the episode was uh, as to what's going on today. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's photos nine, online. Huh? There's photos online <laughs> yeah, drunk comparing space it. Nine. If you, you like you to drink, the hall at the door. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then step over the ledge. Uh, when you come in. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sean. We got totally... I, I promised you I would not do this. I promised you I would not do this. It's so, fine. So, this, is, this, is the, this is the format. Whatever. I, I, okay. I throw the topic out there, and then we... Well, you told me the format us. was 30 minutes, and we're never going to make that at this rate. Oh, well, I mean... Okay, so to be honest, my format is 30 minutes, but um, my, my first two episodes are like 46 and then 52, so it's not... It's uh, under okay. an hour. We'll, we'll do it under okay. an hour. That's the format. Okay. Um, but no, to answer your question, um, I forgot now what it was. We were talking about zines and pre-internet, and, and what was your specific? Oh, oh, the, if there was like the wacko fringe. Well, the oh slash. So it was just it wasn't like people sitting down to do gay porn. It was women. My point was women. The whole thing of early Star Trek revival 
yeah, you look at the pictures of like the Caltech protests and all that. There's guys, there's girls. Everybody loved it. But the women were the organizing force that wanted more stories. They wrote, they started writing fan fiction, which had existed before. All sci all these sci-fi things had existed before, but they were at this real low level. Because basically, aside from you know, like some one-off, you had Twilight Zone anthologies, but that wasn't recurring, continuing characters. That was considered quality science fiction on TV. Everything else was Kitty B stuff, including Lost in Space. Nobody wrote Lost in Space fan fiction. Well, maybe that one guy. But anyway, nobody wrote <laughs> Lost in Space fan fiction or Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea or whatever, whatever. Land of the Giants. I, you know, what? Oh Captain Video in the 50s. But <laughs> there had been some good movies, but they were still, you know, Forbidden Planet and Day the Earth Stood Still. And a few had been out there, but they were, you know, most people thought think of you know bug-eyed monsters and B movies when they think of sci-fi movies in the fifties and sixties, and literature was still the bastion. And comic books were oh my god, comic books! But literature, novels, and short stories were still the bastion of developing. And you still had pulpy science fiction, but there had been con. The first world con was nineteen thirty-eight, I think. First fandom had been around since then, and then the war came, and then things picked up in the fifties and sixties. And there had been a world con every year since then. What happened with Star Trek, there and then we'd had you know like huge fan movements, but it was always like around like you know movie stars and singers and bands, you know Valentino or or Elvis or Frank Sinatra or even Bing Crosby in the beginning, and then the Beatles. It wasn't a franchise fan. And then the Monkees, yeah, but it wasn't. It was it was people. And when the when the people's career whatever got old, then all that that initial fervor burns itself out, and then it settles down into joining you know, the tapestry of celebrities. And nothing like Star Trek had been there before, really. And then right hard on the heels of Star Trek, like Planet of the Apes was kind of big, and then and then George Lucas got his funding for Star Wars thanks to, you know, three or four or five years into the Star, Star Trek craze, he got people to give him money to do Star Wars, and now we're off and running. But... Right. Um, People forget that in those early days, it was it was this thing that was huge and underground and with the kids like college age and kids were the ones high schoolers, kids were tweens were out there doing stuff. But there were tons of adults older who were quietly, you know, uh, perfect doctors, lawyers, um, we'll say Indian chiefs, but that wouldn't be PC, but that's the old phrase. <laughs> doctors and lawyers and engineers and scientists and. I don't think so much the first wave of like NASA astronauts, but everybody else after that, everybody inspired, you know, by Trek. And it, but it was like a quiet thing because nothing had existed like this before. So you had 20 years of the establishment going, oh, those Trekkie kids and all of that. But so that's why these women were attracted to the bottom line was women were attracted to Spock and Vulcan culture and that sex every seven years thing and all well, I can bring him <laughs> down off his I will be they all love Star Trek for the adventure and the sci-fi and the concepts but the thing that got them the women young girls and teen girls and women was was Spock and that aloofness and that calm and reserve and you know and that's what did it but they were putting their inner channeling their energy into you canceled my show, damn it. Well, I'll just – even before it was canceled, they Spockanalia was the first zine. And um, – oh, I've gone blank on her name. But she, there's pictures of her giving – bringing one to Desilu and giving it to Leonard in costume, which is like – people are like, okay, this is different. And there had been zines and fan fiction in sci-fi, but, but it was all like original fiction. Nobody did like franchise fan fiction. If it was, it was very sporadic. 
So these are homemade um, fan magazines? These are mimeographed. Thing. Yes. Oh, this is all the whole. So you had this whole little and outpost this... of people did it, and they would, they, would, they would like network at conventions, but they were still like at sci-fi conventions. And then within two, three, four years, and then the cancellation happens, and then the letter-writing campaign happens, and that starts networking people. Before the Internet, you were in stamps and paper days, and you network, and, and long-distance phone calling was really expensive, so people networked you know, by postage, and then and they'd send samples of their zines and letters and ideas and just long letters. And then you'd get together at conventions and network a little bit, but you were still like this tiny little cell of who's got enough money to be able to get themselves to New York or L.A. or Cleveland or Chicago or, you know, whatever. But it's in the baby stages. And then you had the mail writing campaign, and that brought a lot of people out of the closet. You know, people got united. And then people started doing fiction zines. And even in the early 70s, there was a zine called Interstat that a woman named Terry Meyer in Kansas City did, where all it was was to outgrow like the letters columns in say Locus or whatever. And against and Starlog wasn't a thing yet. That didn't come along right. until like seventy six, seventy seven. So just to communicate, <laughs> I know this is going to blow people's minds. To communicate pre internet and pre email even, because email was like a, my. I got AOL in 95, which I, I think about that now. I'm like, oh, my God. That was like – that feels like <laughs> way late. That's but really late, isn't it? Yeah. Even then – I mean, like, Next Generation was over before the yeah, gonna, people uh, had I was going to say, Voyager was on or was Voyager not on yet? Voyager No, Voyager in... was still – yeah. Voyager came on in January 95 to the public. I just know that I got my first AOL email That's like insane. in summer of 95. I, it's what's weird is I can remember – you know, and then Facebook in September of '07, and Twitter within a year after that. I, you know, because I remember comedians at night making fun of. I remember Dave Letterman making fun of the internet and URLs, and going, "So what is this? You know, I am me dot that dit dup that dot. <laughs> you know, he, making fun of it in the audience laughing." Well, if you watch people... Seinfeld, there's no reference to the internet ever. Like oh, the, yeah. the most modern thing he, he jokes about is the cell phone. Oh, there you go. See, and that was the '90s. But I mean, what's amazing now to put TNG the back there is that, huh? Sorry. He did have a Mac on his desk, but I don't know if he was connected to the. Well, Macs true. were Mac. I had a Mac Plus in '88. I did my first database and my first like fanzine local printed concordance, like B Joe's only for Next Generation, and then had it laser printed. Ooh. That, oh, was really laser printing. <laughs> like that was home, desktop publishing. Uh, desktop publishing, that's right. Desktop publishing, the, yes. That's so cool. I looked up that's the author the of door. I looked up the author of Spockanalia and it's uh, Sherna Comerford and Deborah Michelle Langsam. So those were Oh, the Deborah Langsam. That's who I th that's yep. who I and not to knock the other person. But Deborah Langsam right. was one. But that whole I'll say mafia, that whole networking group early <laughs> on was all women. It was 95% women that did the first convention in New York. Uh, what's his name? Oh, the dealer was like the backbone of some of the money coming in, and he ran the dealer's room, but all the rest of it. But Joe, Joan Winston, who was a CBS junior executive and parlayed that into coming out to L.A., she was on the sets for Turnabout and Truner when, when they got the word they'd finally been canceled. And she has her pictures. She was like young girl. They're all flirting with her in the pictures, but she wrote that famous chapter when the first Star Trek Lives is a book that uh, Sandra Marshak and, and Myrna Culbreth wrote that tried to talk about about 1970 after four or five years of this Star Trek thing 
but it wasn't huge, but it was enough of a money scale to sell a paperback book. The making of Star Trek had been out, which was like the original Bible, and that's all you could get for years and years and years. The original Stephen Whitfield, although his real name was Poe, uh, he was mm. trying to impress his stepdad. But the original making of Star <laughs> Trek came out after two seasons. It wasn't even the third season hadn't come, but in the middle of the hoopla with the mail campaign. Because his, his, diet, his um, episode listing for like 20 years ended at the end of, third, of the second season. Oh, wow. But I, I have a that was the of... Bible, and then but they wrote a few years later this whole thing about why what is it about Star Trek and every chapter was a different thing and they had words for like the tailored effect which meant that somehow by accident or in purpose they had built a layer in for all these different audiences that were out there and a lot of them had never been approached for and one of them was the discovery effect which I always go to now which was pre-internet when fans thought they were the only, they were crazy because they were the only person they know that liked this crazy show. And the minute people started to connect, i.e. network, in the ancient days, you know, they would hitch up their horses and drive the buggy over <laughs> to the next town for a convention. <laughs> but when people started to discover each other, and a lot of this was female-driven, women-driven because of fanzines, because of Spock and Vulcan and writing, not just straight sex shows, but just not – and not to go into boxes here and, you know, stereotypes, but – the feminine side, you know, the softer feminine side writing, and that's just what – and there were guys that wrote too, but it was overwhelmingly women. And the fanzine writing led to fanzine organizing, led to a culture around, oh, compare. I'll write a story in yours. You write one in mine. Oh, let's critique this one. Oh, this one's crappy. Oh, this one's really, really good. We all agree on that. And that culture led to people, let's get together – there was actually a little library in New Jersey across the river from New York that had one like in 70 – had a meetup for a day, and they probably thought they'd get 20 or 30 people, and they had like you know 100. Wow. So then the thing – the, the original guys planned for 500 and gals, I should say, planned for 500 and got like 3,000. And that's when – that's what hit the newspapers and all the media, and people like, whoa, this dead show three years later had you know 500 people. I don't think they charged for admission at the first one. I think everything they just they had you know monetized things, but I don't think there was a. I could be wrong, but I know the by the time of the second one they were charging, but it was like you know like five bucks for the weekend or something crazy, and then they exponentially took off to the the third or fourth one of those. They had like they had so many people they were over the fire code, and everybody in the main stage they had like <laughs> four or five actors on stage, and the audience thronged forward. They thought they were going to tip the dais table over on the actors. I mean, it was it was a small, it was big but small. There wasn't a separation, and then so the media's picking up on this and the famous TV Guide article about it, and it's the first time in mass media supposedly the word Trekkie is used. Oh and wow! That was like you know six months later, and because the whole thing, the real world was going. What is it about this dead show that has these people, these kids, going crazy? So out of all that. Spock, Vulcans, zine writing, zine collecting, zine editing, the zine culture leads to clubs, leads to conventions. And then the old sci-fi cons are going like they're, they're being taken over by Trekkies and, and women. And, the zine, and they're like, uh, I'm sorry, have you read Asimov? Have you read Heinlein? <laughs> I'm sorry. If you, that's the first gatekeeping was all the old litcon snob guys and gals going. I'm sorry, you're not real. Sci you, you, it's fine to get excited about this TV show, but and we and I enjoy it. But come on, guys, you have you can't call yourself a sci-fi fan unless you've read the classics. 
And so you had that for like 10 years. So then they said, okay, fine, we'll go off and do our own. And that's what led to the first New York Con. We'll just do one for us. And they immediately started having like thousands more people at Trek Cons than they do at like World Con, (laughs) even. Much less smaller, you know, 500, 1,000 people at those. And, oh, here's 10,000 for this dead show that's been away for three years. And and that's, and again, this is all pre-internet, you know, you flyers. Flyers and word of mouth, and you put flyers up at the bookstore, and a Sacy, your world was a Sacy. Do you guys know what a Sacy is? No, I was just going to ask. S-A-S-E. Oh, this is so amazing. Self-addressed stomped envelope. Everything was for the cost of a stamp. (laughs) And we're talking about when your stamps were like six cents, eight cents, ten cents, fifteen cents. Yeah. But it's like, you know, enclose it. You'd have a catalog or a flyer, and you'd say, enclose a SACI for more information or for our catalog. And you would send that envelope folded up with, you know, self-addressed to yourself, and they would stick the thing in and send it. Commercial people and fans. Mm. And and then the Well Committee got started, and the Well Committee truly was the Internet. Like, it's this passion. I think Rick Berman said porn and Star Trek invented the Internet or made the Internet grow. <laughs> because before the Internet and before anything digital, the, well, the Star Trek Well Committee was organized by two women to get people organized because fans wanted information. How do I do a zine? Where is a store near me? Where is a convention near me? Are there any clubs near me? Hey, can I learn more about you know, uh, Roger C. Carmel? Who pl- how do you, you get know, access like, to all of this? Yeah, all people that people are making stuff. magazines, but if you live in some sort of yes. town wherever in the middle of the United States, you need to get access to this. And there were no mag- – there were no – there was – again, Starlog was like 76, right? And there was famous right. – and famous monsters of Filmland kind of filled it in. And all the, all the sci-fi magazines were all fiction-based. They weren't set up to handle nonfiction. You know, interviews and articles and behind the scenes. That wasn't their thing. And Famous Monsters kind of did that a little. And some of the early, early things like in the run of the show were in there. But so there was, was like this whole, like I'm saying, Interstat set up. Interstat got going, Terry Meyer in Kansas City. All it was was every month she printed letters from people talking back and forth to each other. So it's like the original thread like you know what? Even before uh, Facebook threads That's and Twitter Reddit. streams, even before like um, um, what am I trying to say? Fidonet, flay uh, boards. Even before forum boards, on paper by stamps, you had Interstat and a few knockoffs. And she went for like fifteen years and fine. You know the internet did all these things in because they became redundant. But once a month, you got this like forty half page. She retyped at people's letters, and they would write to each other. And four or five years went by before I found it. And then I got it, and I went – I had all these things I wanted to talk about, but they were all like background. <laughs> and, and the movies were – by the time I got into it, it was like Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock era. And I kept saying, can we please have some Andorians and Tellarites and show the Federation at work? Oh, yes. Can we please show That's some cultures? And all, and all the <laughs> women were still talking about time. Spock. Yeah, all the women were That's still so talking funny. about uh, characters and Spock. And I was like, Wow. Like, does no one talk about background? Is it all like these women talking about characters? And so, in comparison to today, I'll take a breath. I'm sorry, guys. You in comparison oh, yeah. to today, You're where good. we have, um, where we have like all of these, because we have um, great content creators out there that are, that are making, uh, so that are reporting. I'm going to say verified, quote unquote, news um, as good as you can get. Um, but we have also all of these kind of hate mongers and these people that spread misinformation, all of that. Yep. All of these rumors and what have you. Did that exist back then? Like, did, there was did, some did of, that, some of these magazines kind of was... just invent stuff or just talk about behind the scenes drama that was happening? Like, just 
talk about things that didn't exist. I think Starlog did a little bit of that behind the scenes reporting type stuff, but well, wait, again, when they know. came in, yeah, yeah, the first three or four years of this really catching on and blowing up, they they didn't exist. But that's why they did come along. In the summer, I remember this because we were on vacation in Colorado, and I was at a bookstore. And I was like, "Whoa!" There was this magazine called Starlog issue one. And then I didn't see it for months after that because I read later that was meant to be – they were trying to get funding, and nobody would finance a sci-fi magazine. People thought – all the money people, all the suits, bean counters, thought it was crazy. So they said, okay, we will suck up our, our costs, and we will make one, and we'll see how it does. And they made it that total 95% Star, Star Trek issue with an episode guide that kind of gave you fresher take than all the books, you know, the Stephen Poe's book, and then David's – the world of Star Trek he did, and he finished his little episode listing till the end. And then the, you know, this explosion of things all kind of happened in 76. Starlog did that issue. The giant poster book came out and did a, and had, and now the New York Mafia was working on it, including like Jeff Mandel and Doug Drexler when they were kids in New York. And all these cool, all the clip collectors. And guys, I mean, there, there's so many angles this we could talk about. One of the things yeah. was, it's only been the last, I mean, I was working at Paramount with the digital age coming along when just to have like outside of photography of shows like what the set photographers did, even to have something like a frame grab, even after we'd had you know computers laying around for a few years, it was like a fight <laughs> in LA when we first did the fact files and we exhausted the like photo stock and the heroes say the hero ships and the hero sets had decent photography, but if you wanted the ship of the week or the set of the week, it was like nobody on the shows paid for a photographer to go in and get this, mm. you know, and pre-CGI. We've, oh, there's no, there's no bad Polaroid of this ship when it looked like this before it went from its original to the fourth time it, they stuck fins on it differently or turned it over, mm -hmm, and, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you did get to the point where you wanted to get a videotape and do a frame grab of it, it was like, okay, well, it's $500 for a setup, <laughs> and then we're going to you know, go into our magical mystery digital machine and charge you $50 a whack off of, you know. And then about the, like, 98 was when things blew up because the Paramount lawyers were sent these cease and desist, desist letters out to every oh, webmaster. Wow. When the big thing was like, how many frame grabs can I do myself? My site has a 8,700 frame grabs on it. Oh, my site has, you know. And they there was this explosion of hobbyists, of fan guys and gals out there doing that to show off and show their pride, and that was the new passion. And they got shut down by, it's like, you can't do this because it was ahead of the curve in a gray area. It's like fan films 10 years later. But that was the hot thing on the cutting edge. And, and you know, Early on fanzine writing, there was a legal thing about this, and people would say, you know, Gene encouraged that because all this overlapped when Star Trek was out in the wilderness. So there were right. some legal things. And on Trek Files, we've had one or two people who wanted to make basically make a fan film in the 70s, and they would write to Gene, and he wanted to encourage them, and he'd say to whoever the Desilu or the Paramount lawyer was by then, is there some way we can find an exception for these guys? Because he's fighting to get the <laughs> damn thing back. Right. And all the pendulum swings. If it's on, it's off. It's on, it's off. And they're like going, nope, can't do it because they're being lawyerly like they have to do. Nope, right. it's off. It's can't do this, can't do this. And it was almost the point where that's where it was like, don't make a paper trail. Like, don't ask. <laughs> Just don't do ask. it. Just do it. And Larry, then, my, you, you know. 
I mean, all Larry these Mike. things were, you know, you say pre-digital. It wasn't just the fanzines. People were having, yeah. there was, and but these early, there was a magazine called Trek that started off as a newsprint. It was just called Trek. And it was like a tabloid-sized newsprint magazine. And after three or four issues, they went to like hard-coated paper stapled uh, with a hardback. It looked like a, uh, what is that? Cardstock back cover. It was heavier paper than your standard news, you know, newsprint or or bulk or pulpy paper magazine, like Starlog wound up starting from. And they would do like one or two a year. And the first time I walked, I, I had a friend take me to a comic book store. And the first time I walked in, the giant poster book number six had this beautiful full color picture of of D McCoy. And you opened it up, and they had a specialty thing about all the medical props. And I about creamed my pants. And it was the <laughs> issue of Starlog. With um, oh, it was a Trek magazine with this beautiful full color picture of of D Kelly on it, and I bought both of them. And and the letters column in Trek magazine, which it wasn't monthly like Interstat, but it was the same thing. And I like wrote a, you know, four stupid four page letter, you know, early on. But if you go back, the Trek magazine like late in the seventies that has the motion picture still on it for the first. If you get that copy, there is like a two column long letter from a very young Ronald D Moore in it being very fanish oh that's awesome that's pretty cool <laughs> anyway i i will take Let, a breath i here i go guys we haven't well, i haven't talked the, about this stuff in ages so it's just like all of this stuff is like this is what was happening and if you like start looking at any one thing you start with zines but then you get to fiction and you got the non-fiction zines which was like the minority that i wanted to do and that's how i met jeff mandel in new york I was so envious of them being in New York for the cons, but also that group that had the stills collection. Before I started to say, before you could go frame grab, even in the 90s, before you could frame grab, the currency for researchers, I mean, the, the, the fangirls and fan ladies wanted you know pictures of Spock and Spock and, Sh- and Kirk and Kirk and Spock and Kirk and all that. And I, we all were the ones that had like, oh, here's the Romulan neutral zone slide. Oh, here's the, here's the air pressure gauge that they kept redressing for three different uses, you know, the hangar back, the hangar bay, um, the hangar deck, uh, pressurization gauge. No, no, it's the thing in sick bay for when they try to, you know, uh, uh, suffocate Kirk in space seed. No, it's in Journey to Babel when they just take off on the, on the, they, you know, they meet at the door. All those kinds of slides and the, sh- and then much less good ship shots of the Enterprise and all the other ships. All that stuff was what like we were after. And then I was collecting McCoy things too. Um, but as far as all the, that stuff was current, the film clips that that Lincoln, that Gene and Majo used to sell to people, that was like gold. And there was even there was a zine called the Clipper Ship Collector for collectors huh. of zines. And if you had a shot of like it's a bridge shot, and it's like Uhura on the bridge, but you had no idea what show it was from. They had like a guy. It was kind of like stamps used to be, where they were like, okay, what is Uhura's hairstyle? What is her earring? What is the design on the panel behind her? Oh my God, and they could like find which season or which. And then you could track from. what episode it was. Yeah, that's amazing. And but that was all paper and ink, mimeograph, zine stuff in the seventies. But that's. But you that had to physically a... go to a convention or physically go to somewhere where this was happening, like a comic book store or something. Yes. You had to physically go to somewhere. Or as that happened, I mentioned the Well Committee. I'm hopscotching around. Sorry. As the Well Committee got going, they started putting out pamphlets about how to start a club how to start a zine how to do a convention all these things and the biggest thing they did was a booklet called the yellow pages of fandom and it was originally like on yellow pages the ones i remember were later on blue but they had these lists 
they had all the actors' fan clubs, and we're talking paper and stamp, you know, write to them, get their newsletter, get their photo, get their freebies, get their patch, you know, all that, get their stickers. The actors' fan clubs, other fa the fan clubs that were existing, just were, that were out there, all the zines that were known and what they were about, were they, you know, fiction, were they nonfiction, what are they, you know, were they a combination? And, the, you know, the addresses, how to write to get to them, who the editors were. All the known stores that sold Star Trek stuff, like New, like Lincoln, but then also like New Eye Studio and um, uh, uh, Federation Trading Post. And um, I've just gone blank on the one that, that was both sides. Yeah, Federation Trading Post, the one that Doug worked at the New York store, and they had one in San Francisco. And then local people. And a lot of the dealers that would go around to conventions would get their address in there, so you actually knew where to get them when they weren't at a con. And all this information, and then local clubs, everybody that we, well, by state and by foreign country. So if you, were, if you were some kid that just stumbled into this, having your own little discovery effect, I don't mean the show. I mean you were discovering that there were others like you. You would go, oh, my God. And, oh, look, there's a club here across town from me, or there's a club an hour away. And you would write and call. And that is how things went viral in the 70s, gradually pick, you know, hitting critical mass and going on and on before you could do it online. That's basically and, how fandom went from like 1968 and 69, 70 to, to this growing, growing movement that went from this, in mainstream eyes, went from this crazy, kooky oddity to the point where you had this, this, this convention for a dead show, got 5,000 people. Oh my God, the next year they had 10,000 people? Are you kidding me? And in the middle of all this, you had France Joseph doing the blueprints in San Diego selling them and they didn't register on the bestseller list because they were in a pouch they weren't bound so he does the tech manual and then the tech manual is the number one nonfiction book for like 12 or 16 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and that is when people started to go well these crazy kids have money <laughs> <laughs> and that's helped legitimize things and that's when you started really seeing the studio because you could quantify it and that's when you start having the back and forth. So the studio the must have been a bit worried about all of this because none of this was legal. See, nobody. Well, the, licensing the, wasn't a thing. It's, it's kind of like mixtapes. How how um until bicentennial until Star Wars licensing was not a yeah. I'm saying yes. I'm saying licensing wasn't really a thing. It wasn't like people were patrolling around until looking Star for knockoffs until Star Wars. Hmm. So no one was really, really protecting their, their IP. Think of this. So in the much. 70s, people were just like, Desi, look, they offered to sell the rights to Gene for like a half million dollars in 69 or whatever God it was. It. And he couldn't raise the cash. or He, he could have been <sighs> a George Lucas, but he lost out. Mm. And, within, and they loaned out the Enterprise, that ship from that dead show. There was one exhibition. There was a museum in Phoenix in Arizona. We had a story about it in the old Communicator magazine I used to edit, the, the official magazine. There was a guy in Arizona that they sent the Enterprise and some of the sidebar ships and things to him, and they had this, this exhibition for a few weeks. And when it was done, I, this was like a lot like when everything imploded in 2006, when the Viacom divorce happened, and everybody in charge of Star Trek technically didn't care and didn't know what they had suddenly because it was now a CBS thing, and there was this big vacuum between Paramount and CBS – and Star Trek was dead. We wouldn't see new Star Trek for 10 or 20 years. So who cared about all this old shit, technically? And it's taking up space, and we're paying the rental on the storage. What? Get rid of this stuff. And that was the impetus behind the Christie's auction in 06. 
Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is in 69, there was a guy who had had in the works to have it come. Well, they didn't know that the show would be dead. So when Desi, well, it was Paramount, barely Paramount by then, had just bought Desilu. When Paramount said all this stuff to them, it was almost like if those people had never sent it back, nobody at the building had any clue to know to ask for it back. <laughs> I mean, it's oh one God. of those situations. It's like there was literally the same way. There was a museum here in L.A. that had a ton of like costumes and some small props, mainly costumes. Um, it's the same museum that used to have the Cheers bar set, the original Cheers bar set. And they oh, had nice. some pieces. They had some transporter consoles and some consoles from like early movie pieces that by 2005 were kind of old and dated, and they weren't even being used on the show anymore. They were kind of like banged up. But they had them, and they made a display, and they had costumes. And it's like... It's like when there's a coup in a government <laughs> and everything turns over and the new people don't know what there is. And it's like the people with the exhibit who were some fans in one of the clubs around, they were like, we're trying to find out who to send the stuff back to. I'm like, why? Why? Just Cheaper. shut up. Let them come we need find a, you. We need they, a quantum archive for Star yes, Trek yes. stuff. <laughs> so, well, we used to have that. It was called the, the uh, partly, it was called the experience in Vegas. But what I'm saying yes, is in 69, right. things were so, you know, fr- but it took only about a year because the local stations, this one guy, Dick Block, who I, I keep meaning to go out and interview, he's like retired. He, like, in the second season went, oh my God, this is perfect for kids. It's being wasted on primetime TV. If I ran this after school, daily after school, we would clean up. And he got it on, he owned, um, I forget what chain it was. They had five stations, like L.A., Cleveland, New York, somewhere and somewhere. And he bought it, and they started running it the, the fall after, in fall of 69. They started running it, and the ratings for these local stations went, like, through the roof compared to what they'd been running. You know, like old movies or whatever. You know, old syndicated game shows, who knows what it was. But their ratings were like 100% more, 200% more than they were the quarter before and the year before. And so they go to, you know, the national trade shows for syndication in local stations. And these guys are going, oh, my God, we're doing this. And and people are like hearing it. It's all getting networked around. And everybody else is like, what? What? And this is only five markets. So everybody, every Tom, Dick, and Harry Little, and before Chains owned every local station, when they were all still mom and pop local stations, who was going to be the first one in the market to get Star Trek and show it after school? Because it was like easy gravy money, you know, for Des Moines and for Fargo and for, you know, Provo how, and for Oklahoma City. Star Trek was after school the original series? That's how I was yes. watching it when I was a kid too. Yeah, all absolutely. the sets of the and into the eighties even. Mm-hmm. But that was the other thing. When you started seeing Star Trek get monitored, when the when the tech manual was on the bestseller number one New York Times that list was the, for sixteen weeks. That was the one with the uh, that was the one with the it's black with red lettering and the UFP uh, symbol on the cover with the faces instead of the leaves instead of the laurels, right? Well, that, that was his. Yeah, that was his seal. Yeah, and originally yeah. he had Gene's approval to do the the ship blueprints, and then by the time he did this, Ballantine was like the licensing publisher for nonfiction and Bantam was the fiction because they've been having the, you know, the James Blish novelizations of all the episodes had been done by Bantam. And then Alan Dean Foster did novelizations of the animateds. And they were all, you know, and they were some, the the Star Trek Lives book that they wrote about the why fandom, you know, blew up. The two women that wrote that, Marshak and Culbreth, who who were big fanzine editors and writers themselves, and then Joan Winston, who had been the CBS person that was there at the end, 
she wrote her chapter in there about her week on the set in 69 when they got canceled. And then after the New York conventions went down, she wrote a book of just about the New York conventions called, um, uh, how, uh, what was it called? The Making of the Star Trek Conventions or How I Threw a Party for 50,000 of My Closest Friends. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all about the making of the four and five of those before the group split up. So it's very different, isn't it? It's very, very different how, how, like how these fans had so much impact on, on the culture uh, that is Star Trek and that is fandom back in the day. And it wouldn't be Whereas there today, the, like the content them, creators genuine. that we are, well, the content creators that we are today, we just, I suppose, just make videos, just react to kind of what we're seeing. Whereas these guys were out there, like really making things, creating these things. The movement. Well, there are con there are Star Trek <clears throat> contact cre content creators that do that kind of thing on YouTube. Uh, I think um, the Tracks Expertise channel and then Ketwalski does a couple of videos that are like more deep dives and stuff like that. I've mm -hmm. seen some of that, but not a lot. Connect the dots type things, which is see right the fir the whole point. And remember, this is you're saying okay. So we had the animated series for a couple of years, which was wonderful. A lot of people, a lot of fans, and we found the letters in the track files. We'll do some shows on them. A lot of fans did not like the animated series because they thought it was going to be the cheap, you know, pat on the head answer to fan demands. I'm baffled by that. Huh? I'm baffled by that. I think the animated series is great. Well, no, listen. Be in the moment. Be in the time. Here's people <laughs> that are pissed in 69. They're pissed that they couldn't get the show back. And they're, they're doing more. You know, the, the organizing and the demand. The, the whole point. There's a dual-edged point to fandom early on. Of course, people want to enjoy the shows. The shows ended. So it's like, well, damn it, if you're not going to give me new Star Trek, I'll make my own. And most of the time, that took the place of writing stories, fiction, or you know, scripts even, or whatever. But for a lot of people, that was also, wait a minute. We never went to Andoria. We never went to Teller. I want to know what they look like. I want to know what, how does the Federation really work? What is the council? How many are on the council? I mean... All the you know, how does a Vulcan neck pinch really work? And all these, all the background fill the gaps that, and they, they were huge gaps, right? So, and what's the history between the eugenics wars and uh, and and Kirk and Spock? What happens in the middle of all that? And they talk about the Romulan War a hundred years earlier. What did that look like? And they really didn't have ship to ship. I mean, all of that stuff were huge yawning chasms that people wanted to fill in. And at the time. You didn't think there'd be any more Trek, so everybody jumped in and did their own versions, their own fill-ins of history, which is my first thing. One of my, well, my really first thing was organizing stars and planets and unifying them with real astronomy as much as possible and trying to see what that looked like. The distances like in Star Trek don't really stellar fit cartography. But the point, the, well, you know, you can you can do a lot. We we have done a lot, and Jeff got in and did it. But my point here is, the first wave of fandom was twofold. One. This has completely exploded my brain on whatever front, and I want more of it. And if you're not going to give it to me, then I'll make my own, damn it. Thank you very much. And whatever form that, you know, that included costume making and prop building and ship building and, ooh, look, we got a plastic kit model, so I'm going to make a whole fleet. I'm going to put, you know, here's the Lexington, the Hood, the Constitution, the Republic, and the, you know, I'll do them all. World building. Yeah, world, world building. The world type, building, type exactly. Yeah. That's the term we had. Back then, I didn't know, but that's what my first hook was, was the world. I enjoyed the characters. I liked the futuristic, you know, the aspirational of it. But to me, that was all like, well, duh. Of course. <laughs> if we don't right. blow ourselves up, of course that's what we'll evolve into. Now, let's move on to the cool stuff. <laughs> but for a lot of, of people, like, they lived in the philosophy. Like? Yeah. And they lived in the characters. But whatever it was, the first wave of fandom was celebrating that. 
but under everything else it was I'm not happy with doing my own thing you need to bring this back and put it on screen damn it and that was the org- the whole point of early fandom or at least half the point was to get a reunion a TV series a movie or something because they had a whole and we all know Turnabout Intruder is hardly a finale finale and so right. a lot of people in 71 and 72 and 73 when they heard about the animated coming they were like oh this is just NBC's way of just patting us on the head and saying, here you go, kitties. You know, here's your little Star <laughs> even Trek. Though, but then they had even to be the some people. Even though the performers were involved. Like the, a lot of people, you know, a lot of think, people were right. excited for it. Right. Yeah, and the they, fact they, they were getting uh, all the... This is the first time voice. something is coming back, right? Yes, first time Things didn't show. come back. Things that are canceled never yes. really came back in any way, shape, yes. or form. And this is the first... So even if well, it now, is animated and kind of... You know, okay. you think, oh, it might be the cheap knockoff, but it's coming back. You did back, have the Brady kids. See, that's the thing. Part of this was you had the Brady kids, you had the Harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> you had, you know, the Scooby-Doo movies with Laurel and Har. I mean, you had things like that. That's why some people saw it as a sop. But Gene was like, no, this is a building block. And they, he and Dorothy tried to get the word out. Guys, 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 If you, sh- it's just like now. People saying, uh, take Discovery away and come back and do better. It's like, no. If this goes away, it will be 10 years before anybody wants to try again, if even then. See what I'm saying? It's like, no, you right. don't, you, it's not a vacuum. You don't get to pick and choose because there's a guarantee there'll be option B in a minute. That's not the way this works. If you're tarred and, if Star Trek is tarred and feathered as that thing that bombed when people wanted a new one, the binary minds of suits and bean counters is, okay, we tried it and they didn't like it. This idea of, now maybe... In the geek world we have now, where people say, "Well, this version of the Hulk bombed. Maybe we, or this version of Spider-Man didn't do so hot. We will let it go." I mean, we're kind of there now, and I think we're there now well, with Star Trek finally. But people are thinking in franchising. People are thinking we, we, in, back then. Nobody thought everything was a one-off, and people only looked at like basic labels. So yeah, Gene and on and the core and a lot of fandom were desperately trying to say, "Don't." If you don't like it, just shut up and stay home and don't vote. But don't come and trash right. this because if you really want a movie, <laughs> this is how we will get there. Yeah. Mm. That was all. But the first wave of fans. So all those things were both demanding more and a lot of the, like you were saying, content creators. Everything was done in a vacuum because a lot of people never thought we'd get any more. And if we did, we get, well, what, one movie? That can't be all things to all people. And there's even a kind of a competitive thing about, well, here's my theory on how this works. Well, here's my theory on how this Here's my theory of a timeline. Well, here's my theory of a timeline. And then when the tech well, manual still, makes a splash today, by being it? a bestseller, then they then Valentine is looking, well, what can we sell the next Christmas season? And they get B. Joe's Concordance, which is like Memory Alpha on paper, which is hysterical to me because I did my mm-hmm. concordances. Memory Alpha to me is like taking all of my stuff and then building from it and taking Bejo's stuff. It's and, true. There's a lot. You know. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I had. Um, the, I have the TNG Companion, but my my print version only goes up to season five. Uh, I had that version, and then um, yeah, I have to I have to go and get the newest version, which I, has I everything. Say, I, have a, I have a secret for you. It's been updated. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just I have it digital. I just have to get it on print. <laughs> so I mean, you know, and then they they're like, oh, so the concordance sells a ton with the little wheel on the front, and then they're like, quick, 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 we next year. Well, Jeff and and uh, Doug and and Anthony Fredrickson and the New York Mafia that had the big clip collection that was being seen in the giant poster book that ran about sixteen issues. It was just awesome. 
uh, including Doug going down and taking pictures of the Enterprise at the Smithsonian, which is the first time a lot of people had, you know, that was the way people saw that. Nobody else was, mainstream media wasn't paying attention to any of this, and Starlog was barely going about the time the giant poster book was going, and they would, and if you, you couldn't find a poster of what you liked, you could get a Spock poster and a Kirk poster and a crew poster and a million little film clips put together in a poster from some of these outlets, and most of the time it was quasi-licensed, but it was all gravy. Nobody had a clue about licensing or a campaign. It was like, you want to sell what? Okay. There were Sure, there here's were great, a deal. Do this. Okay, fine. There were really great posters at the record store uh, for yeah. Star Trek in the, in the late 80s when TNG was I'm sorry, a what out. store? <laughs> the records are, and mine was called Peaches and Specs. I don't mm-hmm. know if you knew those those brands. <laughs> Wasn't that a chain? Wasn't Peaches records yeah. a chain? Peaches was. It was such a great yeah. great place, and you had that. You had to. The, the posters were so big, and you had to like flip through these gigantic framed. Uh, like yeah. kind of books, if well, you will, and it was it was fun. Spencer's still have a? Is it Spencer's Hot Topic? Don't they oh, still don't have know. posters in the big frames you can flip through? Oh, I haven't been to a Hot Topic, so I've got to check it out. Oh, that'd be awesome. But, but yeah, but uh, I the record stores Trek were stuff. like the pop culture for youth because they had all the rock, you know, all the bands were in there and the singers, and that was the, la- the yeah, exactly. natural place to segue because there weren't standalone stores for anything like this then. Maybe you'd have a comic store that was something besides just rows of dusty boxes of comics, and they were with it. But part, part right. of that's and the to, growth. Part of that's how things evolved. Within ten years, all of this grew up and changed, and this audience was there. And that's I said, the minute there was a whiff of money to be made, it took four or five years. But you had these quantifiable, bestseller, uh, local stations, you know, ratings going through the roof. Everybody having it, which was a which was a synergistic effect. Of course, the more stations that played Star Trek after school, the more people saw it faster than stumbling into a convention and getting a flyer with a Sacy. I mean, you know, it, so it all went viral in the old way, which looks like a snail's pace today, but there'd been nothing like this ever before, which was part of the problem of getting some respect and acceptance. You still had people making fun of the new thing and the fact that it was mostly kids and high school students and college students, although within 10 years, now there are people in their 30s and people in their 40s, but everybody still felt like they were, a lot of people felt like you would be in the closet, you know, and you couldn't just say things to everybody. Oh, yeah. And if you wore your yeah, Star you... Trek t-shirt out brazenly, you might get catcalled. But if you wore your little pin <laughs> over here, if they even made little pins then, you know, you had your little, well, we didn't have rank pips until next gen. But you know what I'm saying? You had to be, I right. would always try to be, be be on the subtle side. but Discreet. Yeah. Discreet. Thank you. Yes. I, I had uh, I had, pa- I, I had patches on my backpack and things like that, and I definitely mm-hmm. got made fun of. So it was a different environment, whereas today... Everyone's like, "Oh, cool, Star Trek." <laughs> like, the geeks won. Well, if if very worse, it's a snobbery. Geeks and nerds are the new cool, aren't they? That's the new popular. Well, they're also making all the money from the digital yeah. companies that I, are trying it, to take it over our cool lives. It is cool now to so know all cool. of the details about, um, you know, Star Wars or about the the old uh, Marvel comic books, and it, it, it's cool now t- to have that knowledge and be able to spread it and explain all the the past and the history of these characters to people online. Well, and they're multiplying, and their offspring are being raised with it, too. So that's, you know. Now you have the YouTube videos and the Facebook, you know, videos of people and their two-year-old. Oh, yeah. I mean, my daughter's a year, a, year and, a year and four months. She's watching Star Trek, and she, she runs around with a little Captain America in her hand, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> well, they'll get, they'll get it, yeah. But my, 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 uh, my, one, my granddaughter can say Dr. Coy, so... <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, I'm her, trying to bring her along. You, you need to get her a tardigrade uh, stuffed animal. Those are cute. Uh, yeah. Well, if yeah, your Funko finally brought out their first couple of discoveries. But, well, that's a whole other topic. What what discoveries yeah. been knocking on the door? Picard may be about to break down and you know blow the house down as far as you know merchandise and. Well, yeah, I think Absolutely. Picard's gonna have more of a mainstream success. Um, yeah. So well, it percent appeals to my nostalgia. I was I started watching TNG when I was close to about eleven years old, mm-hmm. uh, and that's like a great age, you know, where you just kind of are making your philosophy of life and and you know oh, yeah. to have have that as your template You're or right. whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so now I'm—I mean, like to me, every time I uh, the two episodes, it's like a religious experience almost <laughs> watching it. And then I'm like, oh, what merchandise can I buy to continue this feeling? <laughs> so they've got me hook, line, and sinker for sure. Well, you know, but I now it appeals we've got... to non-trickies as well. It appeals to people that aren't Star Trek fans as well, because people know that they know Spock and Kirk, but they also know Picard. Oh, Picard. And yeah, so Patrick Stewart's guy. such an amazing actor that like there are a lot of people that don't necessarily know or care yes. about Star Trek that might be pulled in by Sir Patrick Stewart himself. Or they remind so. they remember him being a Professor X from Right. From, he uh, brings a lot more people with him now than he did when he was Jean Luc the first time around. And he's a social media he and um uh well, you know, George Decay's a social media darling, but the people have had really active uh presences on social you know, Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and he's yeah, and some George of the crazy, well, yeah. the crazy. You know, when he's in the bathtub in the red uh, lobster suit. And he and Ian McKe- he and Ian McKellen overlapping. Ian McKellen, that's right. Coming from X Men and coming from uh, Middle and Lord of the Rings and all that, and that fandom, and then it's like, well, who is this guy with him? Oh, that's perfect. You know, so now they're the the cool old guys. So they're kind of in that. Yeah, they're kind of in that realm. George is a little more political and socially active, but still that whole thing of here's the cool elders what are they doing now right and and not to get you know your your point here for the show today was to be about what the, all that was like it's what's what gets me and it's it's been this last 10 years of doing the podcast and talking about this sometimes it's like you live th- and I, this is why I keep trying to tell people even if they came in through next generation or even if they came in with the Kelvin movies it's like yeah, you love your first, and that's cool, and no one's taking that away from you. But as the years go by, things don't say – two things. A, things don't stay stagnant because the world around us is changing. The cultural landscape is changing. The tech and the digital and the communicative way we – you know, the way we watch media has changed. You know, like witness the big, the big protest wall about streaming. You know, a lot of people had not even taken cable, and they were still getting by on their broadcast channels. I guess. <laughs> That's so it's my like dad. it's like being alert to, and sometimes even people who don't don't mean to, the world changes, and we don't realize. And if something hasn't poked us, for good or bad, then we just it's not our fault. We don't know about it unless you're like really actively, or you're in something, and it's your job, or you're you're you know you've got new kid, you've got kids, and they're what you have to see the world through their eyes their media, their world landscape. But things keep changing and that's a challenge and they're changing faster and faster and faster. And that includes the ways of communicate you know, it was a it was such a shock the first year HBO got Emmys and people are going, What? A a pay <laughs> channel is doing a show that gets an Emmy nomination? It's like, well I'll i I'll see that and raise you to the you know what the company that would send you DVDs in the mail is gonna get Emmys? You know, 
you know, when Netflix started doing the first original programming. That's only been like five, you know, Orange is the New Black and House of Cards. That was only like five, six, seven, eight years ago. And that was like a revolution. And now now it's like, oh, oh, CBS is doing its own. Yes, and now ABC Disney and now NBC. And like, oh. Oh, I know. So yeah. people, you know, but all those changes happen. And to go back four or five or six iterations, what kills me is all these things. When you look at that first wave of fandom, very few things got people excited and, and exploded people's brains for the good. I don't mean like scanners or something. <laughs> blew them away melted their little brains down like Star Trek and the reaction to it was like nothing No, it's like nothing we've ever seen before Captain and all these things had to be so there was like ridicule people didn't know some people saw it as a way to make money some people saw it as something weird to ridicule or, or even be like afraid of is this some kind of cult and some people just and then the people within it they wanted what they wanted and I'm, it's like, I need this stuff. I need to make my own stories. I need to know where I can go to get more of this. More people that do like I do, if they exist. And so, like I said, the well committee was like the internet before the internet. It was like paper and stamps internet. There was a demand for information, and people wanted it quickly, and they wanted it globally across the country and then around the world. And how do we do that in a paper and stamp world? That was the internet. Everything for the cost of a SACI, for a self-addressed stamped envelope. And it, you know, and things creeped along. You got Interstat. I remember being overwhelmed because here's like 20 or 30 letters, and I wanted to correspond to these people, but it was like, and I would compose my letter. It was like a multi-level thread. It's like if, if the 10 threads you last talked to on Facebook, but you had to write your answers to everybody all at once and make one big post <laughs> that pointed to all those. That's what it was like. And so oh, I'd goodness. send my letter off by the deadline and then here would come the next issue and I'd be like Jesus Christ has it been a month since I sent my letter <laughs> like crap this is like exhausting but but you did it because you you know and no one else around you was like on this level because you felt like you were with this it wasn't ex like anybody could subscribe but it wasn't like the masses knew about it I mean I didn't get off on the fact that there were only 40 or 50 or 60 people writing in here that's all it's like when I got a letter talking about what I liked that was in Trek magazine, and then they would reprint those little trade paperbacks, the best of Trek, and one of the chapters was the best of their letter sections. And my letter, whatever I was talking about, a lot of these background things, got put in there. Well, then I started getting letters from around the country. People would pick that up in their bookstore or their drugstore or whatever, their newsstand, and all of a sudden I went, wow, I'm not alone. There's like eight other guys in the country that think exactly the way I do. <laughs> well, now, thanks to the Internet, I know there's – you know, maybe eight thousand, if not eight hundred. Right. But that's how you, that's how it had to happen, and you felt like you were in. I didn't get off on the feeling I was in some tiny little ivory tower community. I was thrilled to have others, and then you would like have have letter exchanges, not debates, but you would like hash stuff out because again, we were all in a vacuum. We never thought any of the stuff we cared about. We were ever going to no nobody was ever going to get paid to put this on film again because they'd all be caring about what happens to Kirk and Spock, Kirk and Spock, Kirk and Spock. And, and that, you know that translated adventure. to the BBSs later on in the early internet, yeah. the BBS, the bulletin boards, yeah. uh, and there was that kind of activity that you described. That was like I that was late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mo the and first modem I, generation. Know, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I wasn't cutting edge um, on that. I had two friends that were big like modemers and you know bulletin board people, and they were like, "Larry, Larry, there's a Star Trek uh, thread on Fidonet or whatever it was." 
Right. Uh, and there's some guys, and they're like, they're trying to figure something out. I bet you could give them the answer. And I'm like, okay. So I sit down. They were arguing over something. And I sat down. And, and you said, really guys, did. Guys, 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 here. I think you're both partly right. And I gave them an answer, and it was so I So the next time I'm over at their house, I go check in. And it's like nobody cared. It's like I gave them an answer, <laughs> and they immediately turned, and we're arguing about something else. <laughs> and that was my oh. first introduction oh, uh, to the way things would be in the next that 30 years. familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> my goodness. So all of this has happened before, and all of this will happen again to go yeah. back to Ron D. Moore. <laughs> all right, I don't mean to cut you guys off. Um, I know. We've, been, we've gone on and on and on. I hope this was something you wanted to get into, Sean. This is fantastic. Whatever. It, it, it's, it's great. <laughs> okay, I, to I think that's to be honest, I, lo I love listening to you. And everything that you have to talk about, so um, this is fine. Ditto. This is great. Um, yeah, no, as as uh, Starfleet Boy says, it's it's all happened before and it will all happen again. And so, in, in very, in very, uh, in a lot of ways, the fandom is still the same. Although I feel like now, from what you're saying, um, we can be heard by the producers of the show just a little more, the content creators of today. Because, I I um, think that. I think that actually there may have been a more intimate relationship in the past because not many people wrote letters in well that's not true I think a lot of people wrote letters into mm -hmm. the studios but I, I believe that now there's just so much pinging going on that they don't really see everything they get like condensed probably reports from their social media people that say okay but you get yeah. a general vibe though you get don't you, you get, you get a, a general vibe, but vibe I think... of what's going on within your your fandom or like the people that are following your content online whereas before maybe it was harder to get a, like get that mood across i yeah i think i think there's a pendulum swing or there's like a there's a there's a speed ahead catch-up cycle here too because like when the original series is on the air, it took a few months before people to catch on to the show, see it, and then maybe and the fan and the you know they they talk about how the fan mail took off and there's even reports that actually Nichelle Nichols fan mail was like outweighing uh, Shatner and Nimoy's, but they couldn't let the two stars <laughs> of the show know that. Now this may be a little bit of there's there's some investigate needs to happen. Some of this may, is this just Nichelle you know, talking up something crazy <laughs> or is there really a record for this? <laughs> but that's kind of, it's kind of the thing that would happen. And then like Nimoy had, Nimoy's took off and he had to, you know, hire an outside service because Desilu would only do like so much and he wanted it to be handled a little more in depth. And that, those are the kind of things that like would be like deal points and contract points and personal ego friction bits. And you could read some of that in, in, in Herb Solo and Bob Justman's book. Yeah, you know, those but kinds as you of things. say, that took time. Those letters took time to get But they there. took those time reactions. for that to build that. And then it's, but then there are still letters. Like we had on Trek Files, we had a letter that Gene saved from a woman that saw the night that this side of paradise, you know, the spores, uh, the original spores, not the later spores, not the discovery spores. <laughs> mm -hmm. The original spores and Spock and Layla and all of that. And the first time, aside from the crying scene in Naked Time, they gave you a hint and Dorothy Fontana, well, she'd done Charlie X, but the big breakout script she did for Spock, and then, you know, uh, Journey to Babel would come after that. But that was a real landmark episode, obviously. And, um, and she wrote a letter the night she saw it, that Thursday night, and then wrote a letter that got to him a few days later. And she, but it's amazing, because it's like, it's like a bee in a, it's like a, a bee in amber, or whatever, an ant in amber, prehistoric. It's like this moment in time where this woman is saying, how she felt the first time she saw this side of paradise, which was the night it aired, 
and talking about all the and everything she says is so exactly why everything I was saying earlier exploded it's a that Spock video. and Vulcans. Yeah, and she was like so <laughs> it's like here's the canary in the coal mine that lives and thrives. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, moment. Mm-hmm. But that's a moment where yeah, you so you did have those moments of contact. And then when the show is down and it's about survival and getting on with career and of course he's nurturing walking this we talk about this on Trek all the time in the 70s. The 70s part of Gene was walking a line between moving on with your career and not looking like you're tied to the past because you've got to move on with new stuff. What have you done lately? But at the same time, knowing there's something about this dead show that is not like every other dead show ever before in history, and it's not worth totally turning your back on, but you can't, like, you've got to be in the closet with it. You can't tell all your family, friends, and colleagues <laughs> that you're doing all these things on the side to encourage this dead show that you produce because it would look unseemly and, like, you, you, you know, you're deluded. Like, no thing's ever going to come of that. Come on. Like, get a little gravy. You know, syndicate it and get a little you know, pennies of gravy from it. But come on, really? Really? And there's all that. So you do have the chance in those fallow kind of vulnerable years to do that. And then, you know, with Gene. And then even next gen, there's letters in Starlog, there's letters in Communicator, there's letters in magazines. And writers, let's say, would have their assistants comb through those and look for things. But it still was very, it wasn't interactive. It was still very one one way. And then when the first boards came in and, the, you know, the internet creeped along Eventually, you can be sure that the producers and writers had their assistants, because they sat there all day and had nothing to do but answer the phone anyway. Uh, and now going Twitter through provides a direct link to the actors. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're saying, and, and, and the, the actors hear the stuff. Producers. The actors are hearing stuff at, at conventions. They're getting a lot of that live. But again, it, that's a, that's the slice of fandom that's convention going, which is not all fandom. But a lot of times, the conventions would kind of give you a, a vibe on things, which is unfortunate because you also had the early next gen vibe of. The idiots, again, probably no more than 10%, you know, heckling Will at conventions with all the Wesley Crusher stupidity. Oh, yeah, that's And I, the first time I would hear that or I would see people writing about an interstat, and I'm like, well, that's the idiot. He's a 16-year-old kid. It's the, Yell at the writers. <laughs> Don't yell at Will. Yeah, he's just doing what he's told. He's a, he's probably paranoid. Well, he's the, he's the face of the character, and thus the face of the problem that these people have. But so. we're supposedly having these savvy fans that have been in fandom for 10 or 15 years, and they're too stupid to know how TV works, and that's the kind yeah. of thing. You know, but you would have – see, that's what I'm saying. There you go, 86, 87, 88. You had a where fandom, but you also had stupid fandom then, see, to answer uh, so your question. We had, we, had those, we had those crazy people. They've been there ever since, ever since the beginning. Don't even talk about the fans who were incensed that Spock was when the word got out that Spock was dying at the end of Rathacon. Rathacon is remembered as the rosy high bar of all movies, and we talked about this on my Tuesday's live show, maybe a little bit on Trek Files. The professional marketing people who were fans who went out and did a professional marketing survey and came back and took out full page ads in Variety which is what you did in those days, and Hollywood reported to say, Paramount, if you let Spock remain killed in the next Trek movie, you will lose 42% of your box office and you will lose 38% of your licensing merchandise sales. (laughs) And they did a whole professional marketing survey. Would you watch, if you found out that Spock was killed off in the next movie, would you go to see it? No! And they did all this. That's really the first time... (laughs) Yes, that was like pre Doomcock, Doomcock type stuff. That was not well, but it but it was not fakey people. It was all people who were right. passionate. That's what I'm right. saying. This in our rush to talk about the Doomcocks and the toxic guys, 
don't ever forget that there are passion people who take their passion out of fear at times because they're worried about the thing right. they love will change. Mm. And that's what happened. A lot of the anti-Klingon look discovery fandom came out of that. It was sincere people. I was in that camp for a yeah. while. I, I still am. I, I still and, hate and the, the look is, of those Klingons. Here, here's what it finally got to me. When you had your gang of guys and gals, like your local club or your local, cir- your local circle, in your, say, four, five, six, seven, eight, friend, your Trek friends, but it was the local people you knew. You There's always somebody in your circle who was a little bit of an againer, somebody who was a little yep. oppositional, but you loved them, and, but they were face-to-face, and you knew them, right? Right. So right. You, you heard their tone. You saw their face. Yes. You know, yeah, you're so right. So you blow that up. There's still those people out there, and maybe you don't agree. And maybe they come around. Maybe all the people that hated DS9 that now love it, love it, love it, you know, and they're still out there, though. They're, I can't be, I can't. I missed one show, and now I'm lost. It's like, oh, come on. Lost has been on since, <laughs> I, like, serializing has been a thing for 15 years. Come on. I missed, I missed like, four weeks because I was working late, and I was lost. So see? Like, see? I, I, I remember, but I, I, I worked hard because, like, back then you could t- set your timer on your VCR, and so I worked hard to catch up. My point is just yeah, there are the obvious toxic idiots that are either they get yeah. off on being oppositional. You know, I forget that there's a there's a better word than a ginner, which is like the folk word. You're they're against everything when I say it a ginner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You have that. In, like, is that local, an Oklahoma term? <laughs> I just remember when I was in news and you would cover like the people who were always against the school bond issue, no matter what it was gotcha. for or how transparent it was. They were just a ginners. That's where the first time I heard that. Oh, he's just always right. a beginner. He's against everything. You know, it's like, no, let's go back to the 50s on everything. Let's I like DNX that. half the town. That guy. But what I'm saying is... And that he's, guy. That guy. That's but true. what I'm saying is there are a lot of people that come at... Like the like, like I saw at Vegas, there was a guy in his full Klingon regalia. You knew he wasn't a Johnny-come-lately, and he was in his 50s, you know, with all of his Klingon stuff on. And when they had the Klingon panel with, with Mary, Chifo, and Ken... Um, and he was saying, I so much want to love this show. And it was after people had had the stills and the scenes and the, the promo was out there. And they were talking about, you know, trying to ease people over if they had concerns. And he said, please just, I'll never forget this. He said, I want to love this show. I love you guys. You guys are awesome here in, pu- in, pu- in public, live. But please just tell me that the Klingons that I have known and loved for 20, 30 years are suddenly not going away. And they said, don't worry, don't worry, it's going to be okay. But what he said right there, he was a living, human, breathing being. That's what a lot of fandom, and, you know, they're, they love it so that's much great. that they are afraid that what they love yes, the most about great. it is what's going to change. They will, they all, they, that's totally legitimate. That's they where all, gatekeeping uh, comes from. Aside that's, from literary criticism, and when we rush to the obvious idiots who are like the clickbait crap, they're just wanting the whatever, or they get off on the uh, the oppositionality, the negativity. Because there are people in life that mm-hmm. get off, like you know, the odd kid in the family that just loves stirring the crap up, right? That debate, that debate person, the debaters, you know, like they just yeah. take the other side. The and I mean advocate, beyond Tellerite so. level, yes. Right, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but sometimes in the well, rush to talk about those people, I have always tried to say, let's never, never, never wipe out. You know, I always used to call them the loud 10%, and sometimes I would wince at the people screaming about killing off Spock in 82 or 
the people that yelled about the next generation not how can you call it Star Trek when it's not the idea that there was this new paradigm universe about to blow open and Star Trek was actually going to be bigger in the long run than what you're thinking of it being but it was just hard to cross over that gap you know and oh DS9 doesn't go anywhere it's the show that stands still and oh Voyager's going to be out here and I want my aliens you know I want the aliens I know and oh Enterprise is a prequel I want to go forward. Star Trek is about going forward. That was go, me. That's me. <laughs> Last time I checked there, uh, 2151 is still in the future, too. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That that's was my, true. <laughs> but that's my point, point is, yeah, it's always been there. The thing now is we it's like the social media has accelerated. Every, it's kind of like we've always had countries fight each other, but they didn't always have atomic bombs. It was kind of like that right. moment in 1946 when you went, oh, oh we can't. Turkeys just, now have access to uh, atomic bombs. Yeah. So well, that's what anyway. YouTube and <laughs> yeah, that's everything it. Yes. Is. That's, yeah, a, that's how atomic bombs. The, on, the But don't you uh, think in the last couple of years, this like I had a Tuesday Live about a year and a half ago called uh, the title of it was "Who Mocks the Mockers," and I started saying, mm, "Look, guys, you've nice. got to be alert to the source. Check out accounts. Check out these YouTubers, and like go back and look at what they said six months ago. Did any of it come true? You know? Yeah. And but I think then I mean, had right. people swing, have to like you guys have come along. We've had other. YouTubers come along and try to restore some sanity to the, you know. The audience has to kind of. We can say this. Like I've made videos about this. We have colleagues, content too. creators that. But yeah, they have to realize this. But like, and I think a lot of people, um, a lot of these naysayers are people that just outright angry at everything that's going on, and that that were saying that, for example, Picard's going to be terrible. It's going to fail. It's going to what have you. All of these people kind of shut shut up when they saw episode one because deep down you are a fan. And even if you're very loud online and what have you, once you see the first episode of Picard, it's it's objectively not a bad episode. You can't you can't just sit there and say, "Ooh, this is this is terrible. It's horrible TV. It has nothing to do with Star Trek." Like episode one is pretty solid, and I think all of these people just kind of silenced themselves and swallowed, you know, their pride or their their hate. And well, people have to come around fan, on their like own. I say, I think a lot of it comes from some some of it. Depending on how they react to others interacting with them, but a lot of people come at it from a sincere fear. Oh, absolutely! Again, and, and it's tied in discovery, and it—it's like you would get a blank look at the people who were worried about Picard because of discovery, and it's the same team. And you try to look at them and go, "Here's what's different about it." They cannot fathom that if the name Kurtzman or CBS All Access is like etched into it, how can Kurtzman it be is the different? boogeyman for these people. What? He's the boogeyman. He's Kurtzman is the boogeyman for the, yeah, for, for yeah, a lot yeah, of people. He, yeah. like the, just the name scares them to death. And the idea, this the whole paradigm that this show could be, that the the finished show could be different. Much less that the people involved are different. The whole birthing process of Picard. I keep telling, saying this is the second kid in the family that had three sets of parents on the first kid. You know, it's like this birthing is so much smoother and by the book than the first one is. The first kid in the family was a mess, but they grew up. They're they're getting there. They're going to be OK. This one's going to have like an easy peasy childhood. And that's All what's right. happened. But you could not get yes. that across to people. And they and they weren't bad people. But yes, finally, the proof is in the pudding. You know, it's like, right. Well, there it sits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, cut you off. That's a great place please, to close. Actually, please. that's a great note to close on. There it sits. 
Thank you, um, Sean, for having me. Yes, Sean. Uh, I didn't mean to go on and on and on there, but <laughs> you guys yeah, are to, just to, such to, such victimizers. To be honest, I, 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 to be honest, I was I was <laughs> expecting just to like sit here and listen. So this is this went exactly how I was expecting it to be. You're you're the one that has the knowledge and and that, that has the teachings. No, no, so, no. Um, don't. Well, that's that's great, but don't make me into a, a wise old wizard because what's the challenge <laughs> now is to, what I said about blind. No, what I said about blinders and paradigms is. We get lost, and in, in, even when we're actively trying to keep up with it. I mean, I stumbled into a thread a few weeks ago about um, some fans talking about, even though they were sincerely trying, how hard it was to watch original series because of the 60s-ness of it. And it's like I have to stop and go, okay. And, I, and you know, you don't react like, oh, come on. Or the, the, the old, this is where right, it all came from. Right. If it wasn't for the 60s, you wouldn't be watching it. Today. That's all like intellectualism, which is true. But you have to approach people where they are, and part of that is, one of my comebacks is, have you, I totally get it, but now with YouTube, now with all these nostalgia channels, have you ever watched what else was on TV at the same time? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. how about some context, and how about some things that can build bridges with people? Because, and a lot of them are mostly sincere and saying, I really wanted to, I really, I just can't do it. And I can only get through two minutes or three minutes, and it's not yeah, even the well, events, it's the acting. You know? I did my full rewatch of Star Trek and had my wife watch all of Star Trek with me. And so we started, because she wanted to start from where it began. And mm -hmm. so we watched all of these episodes in order. And she started with the original series. And it, it took a while to get through that, because she's like, I'm going to be honest. Some of these stories are great, but like the acting, the pacing is really awkward. Because you only got one story going on at one time. Anyway, it's very different. Anyway, most of the time, yeah. Anyway, we but, but that's a that's a thing. Right. Anyway, yes. Thank you so much uh, for being here and for being the wise old wizard of this episode. Oh, stop it! Yeah. I'd rather be like the Robert. What's his name? The Robert Osborne. Remember on on AMC on the uh, movie channels. What the hell is yes. that? The guy that uh, would do the interviewing, young. the intros. Now Frank, uh, there's another guy that does it because he died. But uh, for like 20 years, he was like the interviewer that would do the raps. Um, was it Turner Classic Movies? I don't know this. I think it was, but I can't yeah, remember yeah. who the new person I'm, is. I'm, I'm, I'm too young and not American enough no, to No, no, on, on, on uh. well, it's on cable, it's on now. So there's a new guy okay. that took his place. But, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. You've done 500 plus interviews according to the internet, so you, you have done quite a few interviews yourself. Oh, you can't trust what you read on the internet? Come on. <laughs> it's true. It's all a lie. <laughs> well, th thank you, Sean, and thank you, Larry. What a, what you a joy to have, have uh, spoken to you both today. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope yeah. this helps you cross over to the YouTubes, and um, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you both. It's fantastic. Sean, thanks a and, lot. Uh, there you go. And Star Trek Live long and prosper, yes. everyone. Yeah, truck well. <laughs>